Hey, Inyani with everyone, it's Sony Gassen here. Before we begin the show, there are a couple of announcements I want to make. The Smiley Connection team is cooking up some fresh content and new ideas for next year. But to make sure that we're delivering the most useful information, we have some questions for you. What topics are you interested in? Is there a particular industry you'd like to learn more about? Are there any problems or issues you're facing in your career? We'd love to know. My second ask is to those who have been listening to The Smiley Connection from the beginning. Do you like long episodes all in one go? Or do you prefer when episodes featuring one person are broken down into roughly 25 to 30 minutes? And finally, if you have any questions for today's guest, or even the other guests we featured on our show, let us know. We'll get them to personally record an answer for you and feature it in our next episode. So drop us a line at ipnpodcast at ipnonline.net. We really look forward to hearing from you. Life can be pretty tough. We're told to balance our careers, family, health, finances, and everything else. But in today's fast-paced world, is that even possible? This is The Smiley Connection, a podcast produced by the Smiley Professionals Network. On this show, we aim to answer that very question by learning from those that are already doing it so that you can grow both professionally and personally. Hey everyone, today I want to talk to you about the time when I broke my knee and don't even know how. Well, actually, I didn't necessarily break it, but when I was in college, starting my second semester of my senior year, I was speed walking to a class across campus. I was running late. The classroom had one of those theater-styled seating arrangements, and the space between the rows was super narrow. So when I got to class, in my haste, I banged my left knee hard on the seat in front of me. Ouch, right? In the moment, I didn't notice anything. But when I was walking back to the dorm after class, I felt a sharp pain in my knee. It got harder and harder to move. I remember standing in the middle of the quad at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign and crying because it hurt to walk or move my knee in any way. The rest of my memory is sort of fuzzy, but there were a series of visits to the university hospital, followed by an appointment at a local clinic. It turned out I had something called runner's knee. Now, I'm not a runner, but this condition can happen when there's a direct blow to the knee, overuse of the knee, or even misalignment of the bones. The doctor told me I had to take a strong ibuprofen for several weeks and have to see a physical therapist. This was the end of January, and the next available appointment for a physical therapist was in mid-March. That meant I had to go several weeks in pain while putting lots of medicine into my body before I could get help. Ultimately, and surprisingly, my body healed itself with patience, rest, and lots of relief cream like Bengay and Tiger Balm just a few days before my physical therapy appointment. Now, you might guess that today's episode is focused on mobility, and if you guessed that, you are right. On today's episode, I spoke with Sean Lopez, who wears many hats. He's a father, an ice hockey coach, a stem cell researcher at UCLA, and a joint mobility specialist. He just started his own company called Minditude earlier this year during the COVID-19 pandemic. Sean practices a concept called Z-Health. It's a brain-based fitness program that connects the brain to the body. But his roles and responsibilities don't stop there. He also helps out with the youth program through the LA Kings, has partnerships in the works with Netflix and Hulu, and volunteers to help seniors within his community. He credits his mom for teaching him to practice visualization, which has helped him make his goals a reality. He also shares how he started his business with that prior experience 
and expands on how he created opportunities for himself throughout his career. Let's take a listen. What has it been like for you to launch your company during COVID? Are there any challenges and, and how have you kind of surpassed that? Yeah, so right before COVID, I was already in the process of like doing the company. So I was reaching out to other companies that I was working with. So UCLA was one example. And then I was working with some senior homes. I would demonstrate and then you would perform the exercise. So it's a little different than physical therapy where I'm actually hands-on. And so I was mainly going to senior homes. And after COVID hit, especially with the elderly population, they had to shut down because the elderly population was more at risk. So I had to pivot and think about something else that I can do. That's when I started doing these Zoom classes. And now I'm actually working with the senior homes to do online classes. And it was a little bit more difficult just because they normally don't have Zoom classes since it's an elder population. They need someone there that's able to do tech and Zoom. So we're actually in the process of trying to do these classes. And the nice thing is since it's over Zoom, each of the seniors can stay in the room so they don't have to worry about group settings. And I go pretty much step-by-step. So it's very safe for them to do it in the room unsupervised. That's great. And I would say too, with like COVID, I know a lot of businesses are getting hurt, but if someone could pivot and do something that's similar to what they're doing, but maybe outside the box. For example, there was this baking company and they started losing business because they couldn't sell cakes and people weren't coming in. So they just created a build your own cake or pastries from them and they mail it to your house. And then you just do it as like a family thing. And their businesses were so much better than even when online sales and everything wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, if you could pivot, that's like, what you can keep doing instead of getting down, just think about other things that you can do that maybe you're not thinking about right now. And so for you, I saw that you had the move and smile challenge. I'm yeah. <laughs> what is it called? I'm butchering it. The, the smile and move challenge. Okay, that was close. And so obviously that's one way for you to digitally during this COVID time, be able to yeah. expand your brand and help others. This was probably like two months into COVID. And this was the time where people were so depressed and they're like, they needed some good news. And it was just the atmosphere and the energy just around, not even LA, just in the US was kind of down. So then I was like, what can I do to maybe bring some joy? And I was like, let me try to bring my humor into these movements. So I created the Smile and Move Challenge, which was just a 12 day simple movement challenge. And one of the things was like, you would do like an elbow exercise, but the challenge was you have to incorporate into your daily routine. So when I was doing the elbow exercise, I would put shaving cream on my hand. And while I was doing the elbow exercise, I would like put shaving cream (laughs) on my hand as a joke, but it was like funny. And it's all free, it was all on Instagram. And then what I decided to do was I decided to just create a package of the whole Smile and Move Challenge. And all proceeds even now and in the future is going to charity. So at the time it was for PPE for UCLA for COVID because they were very low. But now since it's a little bit higher, it's a different charity that I would look into. And it's the same thing. I also have like a course, but the course, a portion of the proceeds always will go to AKF or AKDN. Wow, that's honestly really great. Being able to find something that you're passionate about and then at the same time, being able to give back to others. And it's truly, I think, the epitome of a meaningful personal and professional career. So let's talk about 
your upbringing, your childhood, and your family. You grew up in Chicago, right? I did, yes. And you had a huge interest in hockey, ice hockey, at the age of four. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that and how that sort of shaped you and your future? Yeah, so my dad is actually not a smiley. And so just growing up like that was pretty unique. It was nice because I got to see kind of both sides of going to Jamakana and going to church and kind of just reading and seeing both of those versions. So I was able to form my opinion as well for both. But my dad played ice hockey and I have an older brother and he played ice hockey. He's four years older than me. And so around four, I started skating and I was already interested because my brother was playing, my dad was playing. They got me into it. And I started playing. I was actually a, a player. And what happened was one of the goalies didn't show up for the game. And the coach asked, who wants to play goalie? So I raised my hand. And then after that day, it was I was just I played goalie pretty much the rest of my life in high school and then in college. And now I'm still playing, but it's just more for fun. So what about your parents? Were there things about your parents or moments in your childhood that also shaped your traits and interests? Yeah, so my mom, she was pretty religious. She used to go to Jamakana almost every day in the morning and evening. She's the one that taught me the dua because my dad, again, was non smiley. And so my dad was actually pretty non-religious, which was good in a sense because my mom was able to raise us as a smiley. And maybe if he was a little bit more religious being Catholic, then I think we would have probably been raised as Catholic. We went to Jamaicana every day when we were younger. And she's the one that got me into Bandagi. Even though when I was like really young, I didn't really understand it. I was just sitting there and just, just thinking. Just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And then probably fall asleep. But then like as you got older, I was already in that practice. And then visualization mindset that they can be really popular, especially as an entrepreneur. You really have to kind of have your right mindset and visualization. I'm still doing Bandagi the best of my ability. I'm trying to wake up. And it really helped, especially being an entrepreneur, it helped set the morning and the day. And so I already had this routine when I was younger, and now I just tailored it more towards my needs now. Since then, Sean has kept up with practicing visualization and uses it to teach others, including a high school hockey team he coached in Michigan. They were just kind of like, oh, we play the game, we win, that's it. So my whole teaching and coaching was going step by step on how to visualize, how to have that feeling. We'll go through an exercise where you go through an experience that you already had that was enjoyable for you. And so you think about that feeling, how that made you feel, and then you start going into the game because you already have that emotion and you try to connect your feeling, how that made you feel, with how that's going to make you feel if you won the game or if you won that championship. And you want to translate that same feeling. So then that visualization and energy becomes more real rather than, oh, I played a game, I won, hooray. But then now if you're putting more emotion to it and you're like really excited and you really feel like you won the game, you're more likely to start acting and start playing like you already won that championship. Do you think that those visualization techniques helped you in trying to you know, work with the LA Kings or being able to have these partnerships with UCLA and with Jamath Khanna? I believe so. I'm a really big believer in this mindset visualization. And every morning I would sit down, I would visualize, okay, who do I want to work with? Or how do I feel if I did reach out to, like you mentioned, I worked with the LA Kings developmental team, like the youth team. And so even before moving to LA, I had no idea that I would actually be working with them. It was just like, 
by coincidence. It was I emailed someone and they responded. And then we went from there, we got interviewed. And then the person that actually responded to me was the current president of the Los Angeles wow. Kings. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, I have his personal email. And then they interviewed me and they're like, oh, we really like you. So when I started coaching the youth, I started implementing this coaching and mindset visualization because I was like, it worked for me. I want to teach it to someone else. And that's like another thing. There's a saying that you might have heard it. It's knowledge is power. But for me, I believe it's knowledge is a potential power because you could have so much knowledge, but if you're not actually giving back and doing, it's like that power becomes useless. But if you're able to teach it and then there someone uses that same technique and teaches it, then it becomes more powerful than if it just sits with you. We ended up going to the state championship that year. We lost by one goal, but it was pretty impressive to take one of the goalies that never even played hockey and one that was just like a new beginner. That's great. I really like that you said that knowledge is potential power. And even yes. though you might be smart and know a lot of things, nothing's going to happen unless you do something about exactly. it. And use your, your knowledge or interest or passion to do something for the world. Yeah, It's kind of like how people also say, opportunities won't come to you. You have to go out there and get those opportunities. Exactly. Um, but it's crazy though. So you just emailed a random person at the LA Kings and yeah. you got this amazing response back. Do you think luck plays a role in that at all? Or do you just credit that whole visualization mindset? So I believe that luck played a part, but now doing this, I feel like luck is more of the position you put yourself. You're taking more chances. So I'm emailing people, I'm reaching out, and then eventually someone's gonna reach out. It is kind of lucky that someone did message me, but it's more of too, if I didn't take action and email people and just like wait, maybe like, oh, I'm in LA, like someone, to read my resume from before and they're going to reach out to me but you're just putting yourself out and then you put yourself out so much that eventually the opportunity the chances are going to come to you and some people might consider that luck but it could just be the way you position yourself you're just bringing opportunities to you because you're just constantly putting yourself out there. Sean's childhood interest and skills in hockey led him to become a division one player at the University of Michigan where he also studied neuroscience. So when and where did the interest in the brain begin? And how did you merge your interest in the brain with yeah. your interest <laughs> in, in sports? So growing up and playing, I would always around injuries. I had a few myself and then always like my players would get injured. And so even when I was in high school and a little bit younger, I wanted to see what I can do if there's exercises or something that I could help prevent these injuries. And so then that's where like physician came in and like physical therapy. But in high school, you can't shadow people because you're a little bit young. So you need a little bit of experience. So when I went to college, I started shadowing physicians, physical therapists, and I knew I wanted to help people in some capacity. And so when I was shadowing physicians, I felt like a connection, but not like passionate. Like I couldn't see myself as a physician I wasn't so excited. And so that was another sign that, okay, maybe medicine or physician isn't quite right. And then when I started shadowing physical therapy, that was more of my mindset. I was a little bit happier and a little bit more passionate. I was playing in an ice hockey game and my foot actually got stuck in the crack of the ice, which is very rare. And so I was going so fast that my ankle ended up twisting. But 
I guess, I don't know if it's like a male ego or maybe it was just me, but it was like, if you're an athlete, you always walk it off. You're like, oh, I don't have to go see a doctor. I'm good. I don't want to think that if I go to the hospital, will my teammates think less of me? And I think it was more because of my dad, because he played and every time he got injured or if he fell on ice, he hurt his shoulder, but he never went to physical therapy, never went to the hospital. And so I think it came from that, that, oh, my dad never went. So would I be considered weak if I went to the hospital and got treatment. So what happened was I walked it off. I was in pain. And then a few days later, I was like, oh, the pain's not that bad, but it was like pretty painful. And I waited about three years and the pain was still pretty consistent. That incident happened when Sean was a junior in college. So three years go by, I'm still in pain. And I finally, I was like, I'm just going to go see a doctor. I have to, maybe they can do something. So I go and they get x-rays done and they're like, oh, you actually fractured your ankle. But what happened was since you never got proper treatment, the bone formed on its own and it healed improperly. And that's what's causing this pain. And so he was like, this is how it's going to be. You're going to have to deal with this pain the rest of your life. And when you get older, it's going to get worse. And when he told me that, I didn't want to accept that this is the only way. Like I didn't want to take medication for the whole my the rest of my life just for my ankle. So that's when I actually started searching. I said, there has to be a better way because I went through physical therapy. It helped a little bit with the pain, but it was still every morning. So I was thinking to myself, there has to be another way, a natural way where you could heal the body without medication. Sean eventually stumbled upon a podcast by a Division One coach who talked about having a visualization mindset. He reached out to her on a whim and ended up having a more than one hour long conversation. That talk then exposed Sean to Z Health. And after some time, he attended a three day seminar on the topic. It was like a pretty big seminar, it's probably 200 people or so. And the instructor says, does anyone have shoulder pain? And this guy raises his hand and he says, I do. And so he's like, what's the issue? He was talking about his injury. He has limited mobility. He can only raise his shoulder, maybe 30% of full range. So he said, come up to the front and I'm going to help fix your shoulder in less than five minutes. When he said that, it was like, what seminar am I in? Am I in these like pyramid schemes where they're like, oh, just pay us tens of thousand dollars and we're going to just fix your body in five minutes. It was really interesting because the whole body's connected. So if you have like, for example, shoulder pain, you could work on the opposite hip or the wrist, right? And it was a new principle that I never really understood because especially as an athlete and as a coach it was oh you have shoulder pain okay let's work on your shoulder let's make it stronger so what he actually did in the seminar he was playing with the wrist and then he ended up having him close his eyes and plug his ear he went from 30 percent with his eyes closed to nearly almost 100 percent in just like five minutes so then that's when i was like this is crazy is this really happening or is it a magic show where it's like is that part of the audience where he was just pretending after the three-day seminar, Sean started to work on his ankle. Since it was my ankle, I started doing wrist movement, and then I started doing knee, and then working eventually down to my ankle. And what I actually noticed is that within about a week or two weeks, the pain went down probably from a 10 out of 10 to like a 5 out of 10. And now it's like pretty much non-existent. And it was just doing these movements, which was so easy. And I was like, this is crazy. I could be onto something. I want to help more people like this. Sean then tried the techniques on his wife, who is a physician. She was skeptical at first, but eventually came around after the movements worked on her. 
And then Sean moved on to his dad, who ended up falling on ice and hurting his shoulder. He had very limited mobility. When he would try to lift his shoulder up, and he ended up tilting his whole body the opposite way. And so what happens is your body starts overcompensating. If it was his left shoulder, his right side would work a lot harder. And then eventually his right side would be painful. He would have low back pain and all that stuff. So I over FaceTime, had him close his eyes, plug his ears. He went from 20% to nearly 75% in just that one movement. And then by the end of the call, it was like only a five or 10 minute call. He was almost at 85%. And he was like, oh, this is crazy. At that point, did you think, okay, I've got to do something else about this. It's not just helping my family. I have to start helping others. Exactly. So how did that transition into wanting to help Jamaati seniors? So after Jamaat is over, we always stay for like 20 or 30 minutes. So we were just talking and Jamaati Muki side, he was just saying how he had low back pain and just kind of sitting for so long. Then I told him, I was like, I'm a joint mobility specialist. Try doing this exercise. So he's like, He tried it. Then the next day, he's like, oh, it really helped. And I told him, my wife gave me the idea how it was improving mobility and balance. And she said, you know, you should really focus on seniors because they really need help with mobility and they have balance issues because risk fall is the highest in senior homes. So she's like, if you target the senior population, this is going to be really helpful for them. And so I went to Mukisaib and I said, I want to help the seniors with this class. And especially since I'm new, I want to practice before I actually start going out and maybe even charging people for it. So we started talking and at first they're like, oh, we have to get approval. And then he's like, sometimes getting approval takes some time because it's a new class and all this stuff. And then I said, you know what, let's just do Mukisaib, Kamisaib, and then Mukanima. Let's just do just you four after Jamakana. Let me just do a quick session and you decide what you think it is. So we ended up doing that and they loved it so much. And they're like, okay, we have to try to do this. So they're like, we'll try to get approval, but if not, then maybe we could do a test run. And so that's what happened. We ended up doing a test. It was just for the LA Jamakana. And so what happened, they announced it in Jamakana. They said, we're going to be doing this mobility class for seniors. And I think like every Sunday or something in our Jamakana, they have a senior session. And the attendance is usually about like 20 seniors, maybe 30 seniors on a given day. So they were like, you might be expecting like maybe 10 to 15 seniors coming. And I was like, you know what? It's okay. Even if one comes, that's fine. Cause then I could see if I could even help that one person. And what ended up happening was we had 65 seniors come to this class. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, It was great. I had so many people that I needed a translator because I'm not as fluent in Urdu and Gujarati. So they had to get someone because there were so many seniors that came that wasn't speaking English. So they're like, we want them to participate too. So they had a translator at the same time. And I was like, this is like a huge ordeal, which was like really fun. And then Buki Saib and some of the Mandis also came too. That's amazing. Yeah, so it was great. And it was supposed to be an hour session. And when it ended up happening was after that hour, so many people stayed after just asked me questions. And I think I stayed for another hour after. And the volunteer was like, I have to go home. We have to close Jamakana. He's like, Sean's going to be here later. Like he's (laughs) at the Jamakana. Like we all have to go because it was already like past 10 o'clock. And he's like, we have to close because we have to open up in the morning. Wow. How'd that make you feel? It was great because it validated, okay, what I'm doing, like, not only just helps me and my family, but also just the seniors that I was in Jamaat, 
And that was kind of the biggest thing. And just seeing some of them were in pain relief already, and they just had smiles on their face. I already enjoyed it, but seeing the results, it was great. And it was just like, this is what I want to do. So that was like the most pivotal moment for you in terms of getting this idea of, okay, this is really rewarding. I've helped people. It's popular and they're enjoying it. This has legs to grow even bigger. Yeah. Sean then expanded his horizons and reached out to UCLA, where he currently works, to see if they would be open to a similar program. I reached out to someone, and the thing was, they never got back to me. And I reached out to them. I think I reached probably out to them about maybe 10 or 12 times. Just kind of be like, oh, I'm checking in, and did you receive my email? <laughs> did you do it, like, weekly? How often did you touch back? I pretty much did it, like, every Monday <laughs> for 12 <laughs> weeks. Yeah, yeah, I was like, hey, do you know me? Like, I don't know if you're getting my emails, but that's, like, one thing as, like, a quality of an entrepreneur is you have to be persistent. Because if I gave up after that one or two times and be like, okay, they're not really interested, let me move on. And around the 10 or 12th time, they email me back, and they're like, oh, this sounds really interesting. Can you come in for a demo? And it was the director of the activities for students at UCLA. And she was like, I didn't see your previous emails, like the first the couple. Previous 10 ones? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then she even told me, she's like, I'm so glad that you kept reaching out. Especially after I did the demo, she was like, this has so much benefit. So she's like, I'm glad you reached out because we got so busy. Encouraged by his experience with UCLA, Sean then started focusing his outreach efforts on tech companies, beginning with Netflix. There was a few smileys that worked at Netflix and stuff like that. And so I ended up reaching out. They were my connections into the health board on their side, and they really enjoyed it. They did demos and stuff, and they're like, this is really great. And I tailored it more for carpal tunnel, wrist movements, headaches, necks, because a lot of their employees are more on the computer. So then I tailored it to be like, you want to have better posture, you want to have less wrist pain so you could be more efficient at work. It's also about the marketing aspects. Like you have to market yourself and your exactly. ideas and you have to tweak the way you market it based on your audience. Yeah. So was it hard advocating for yourself? I don't think so. Because once you find that passion, then when you're selling it or marketing it, it comes out through your voice, especially if you're doing in person or person to person. And they could really tell. And so another example is I went to Hulu and I didn't even know anyone there. And you can't even get up as a security. You physically went to the building. Yeah, because it's near where I live. And I was just in that area. And I saw a sign. I was like, oh, you know what? It's here. Let me just go. (laughs) And I was like, if they say no, then I'm in the same position. And so first, I couldn't even get in the building because it's locked and you need a code. And then it was around lunchtime. So there's a lot of flow coming in and out. And then the elevator was open. So I was like, you know what? Let me just go in. Yeah. And I was like, if I... So the building's locked, right? So you need a car to get in and there's no security there. So I just went in and I was like, if I get kicked out, okay, whatever. Then it's like, at least I tried. So then I go up to the reception office and they're like shocked to see me because they're like, oh, who are you here to see? And I was like, well, no one really. I was like, I want (laughs) to tell you about this. So then I was like telling them about that and they're like, that sounds interesting. And so sometimes when I'm explaining it, especially with like the shoulder and hip movement, it's really unusual. And so when I'm explaining, they're like, what does he mean that he's going to work on my hip for my shoulder? Especially when I'm working with people and they're like, I have wrist pain. And I was like, okay, let's work on your elbow. And they're like, I don't think you heard me. I said, I have wrist pain. Why would you work on my elbow? But then when we actually do the exercise, they understand it. And so when I did a demo for them at the receptionist desk, I was like, oh, let's do 
custom shoulder work for your wrist. And then they did it and they're like, oh, this is fantastic. And they're like, we can't give you the person's name, but we're actually going to forward your information to him. And then they ended up reaching out. Wow. And we did like a demo for that too. So we did a few sessions for Hulu and I didn't even know anyone. I was like, I'm just going to go and see what happens. So in addition to Hulu and Netflix, are there any other tech companies that you've started doing this with? So there's a few apps that I'm working with. And one of them is called ExtendView. And what that app does is they use motion sensor while working out. So if you're going to do squats or bicep curls, it shows you the angle on an avatar and it shows you if you're doing it right. So if you're using too much of your back, what happens is the avatar turns red. So then it tells Mm -hmm. you, okay, you're using too much of your back movement. And so we're currently working with some joint mobility movements that they can do on the app. So if they're doing the movement, but if they're moving their shoulder while doing wrist movement, it's going to turn red and telling them, okay, stop moving your shoulder while you move your wrist. So that's another thing that I'm working with is an app. And that was, there was like a fit expo here in Los Angeles. And I just went, let me just go and talk to people. And there was one or two boots that I reached out and I was like, here's my card. This is what I do. I did a demo. And he really enjoyed it. Then the CEO of the company ended up calling me a week later or something like that. And he's like, I heard you dropped off your card and talked to some of my employees. He's like, you want to grab coffee and just, and talk. And so we ended up grabbing coffee. And then he's like, tell me about what you do. So I told him and he's like, we don't have this in our app yet. We have a lot of fitness, yoga and stuff. He's like, we want to add this to our app. So we talked and then now we're in the process. It's launched. So you can definitely check it out. And we're trying to add a little bit more exercises to that. That's very, very cool. (laughs) So what lessons have you learned during your professional and personal career so far? And is there anything that you would have done differently? Some of the characteristics, like I mentioned, is that desire, that passion that you have that's going to really fuel you in the future, especially during these downtimes where you're like, am I supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And then being persistent is like one of the key things. And The last thing is probably the mindset. And I don't think I mentioned it before, but before, maybe this is how I grew up about money and stuff. And it was always, you have to have money first. And then once you have the money, then you could create something. And then after you create something, then you can become somebody. I was always chasing, I would get part-time jobs just to kind of get money, just to be like, I need money so I could build this and then I could become somebody. And then what ended up happening was during COVID, And I think this is what actually kind of excelled the company is I attended this Rise Up Challenge. It was a Facebook challenge and it was just with entrepreneurs and Tony Robbins was there. And if anyone doesn't know who Tony Robbins is, he's like a huge motivational speaker. So he was there and there's like all these resources. And I was like, I have to do something now. So then my mindset started changing from I need money to I have to build something to become something to be somebody first, like be you, don't be someone that you're not trying to be. And then from that, build something. Was there anything in your past that informed your ability to go out there and see if you could get the opportunities that you've gotten? There was one example. So University of Michigan was my top school when I was young, because they have a really good hockey program. And it was, I want to go to Michigan. I want to go to Michigan. So I kind of kept saying that. And my ACT score was actually pretty bad. It was like below average. And I think for Michigan, it was like a 28 was acceptance and mine was below a 25. 
and my counselor was like, you should put Michigan as your far reach school. Don't be upset if you don't get it. Just think about these schools where you could get into your range. Even at that time, I was like, no, I'm going to get into Michigan. And then I got a acceptance letter from Michigan. Even and below the average ACT? Even, yeah, even below with the ACT. But I think it was because I had so many other things. And my GPA was like almost a 4.0 GPA. That's it was awesome. just my ACT was a little bit lower. And they just accepted me and it definitely worked. And I think that's, especially now, maybe I didn't understand it before, but it's that mindset. It's like, if you keep thinking about it and that thoughts become actions. That's true. And you also proved your counselor wrong. That's always good, right? Especially now when people are like, don't do a business, you can't do it. And then when you succeed, it's like, I did it for me, but also I proved them wrong as well. I think that example also shows people that numbers are just a minuscule aspect of everything else that you can bring to the table. Exactly. Sean also said the Smiley community played a pretty big role in his life. It's kind of helped shape who I am and what I want to practice. Because especially if, you, if you've been going to Jamaicana for a young age, you know that they do so much volunteer service. AKD and AKF is a huge part that they play in. And that's kind of why Minditude gives a portion back just because they've done so much and I've seen so much growing up with the partnership box and everything. And it's just my way of trying to get back in some way. And since I mentioned earlier, my wife is a physician. And so she does the Friday health checks for blood pressure and all that stuff. And she tries the best she can. Sometimes she's busy, but sometimes when she comes on Friday, she'll do it. So our end goal is we want to help give back to the Jamaat community the best we can. We're already in talks with different Jamaicanas and stuff. We want to do a clinic where my wife is doing the physician aspect, the blood pressure checks, and she's also infectious disease, so she could do stuff related to diseases. And I want to do joint mobility. So we want to travel to different Jamaicanas across, not even in the U.S., but across the world. And just to help do these clinics, it might be like a weekend clinic, but we'll do these checks and the mobility stuff. Just because in certain parts of the world, they might not have access to good healthcare or even like online class, they might be located in a remote village. And so we want to help bring our knowledge to people that we could try to help people. And then hopefully that they could learn it and then maybe they could teach the rest of their community that wasn't able to attend. That's fantastic. A husband and wife duo <laughs> out there trying to save the world one mobile way <laughs> at a time. <laughs> so if there are listeners that also have a passion in something and they want to create a business out of it, but they've never gone to business school or they've never taken any business classes. Are there any resources that you recommend? Yeah, so there's a few. I'll give a name of a book, a podcast, and a resource that I use. So a book that I found really helpful is actually two books. Is One is The Success Principles by Jack Kenfield. And the other one is Awaken the Giant by Tony Robbins. So both of these help with the mindset, especially if you're new to it. It gives you exercises on what you can do. There's a podcast. It's by Dean Graziosi. He's an entrepreneur and I pretty much still listen to this almost every day. And that's a great podcast for entrepreneurs and not even entrepreneurs just getting that mindset. And then the resource that I use was the Rise Up Challenge on Facebook. I believe it's called Rise Up World. And so every Monday they get a speaker in some aspect, you just watch it every Monday and you participate if you want and you just take notes and almost every speaker, there's a golden nugget. 
So for anyone new or even anyone already in the business, these were great resources. And for me, I feel like you should be constantly learning. And especially if you're starting out as a newer entrepreneur, what happens is you have this drive, you have that persistence, you have all of these that make you successful. But, and especially they talk about this a lot, is when someone becomes successful and they're at that top, they forget about everything that made them successful. So then they stop doing everything and they get comfortable. And then all of a sudden, a new competitor comes and they're like, oh, why are they taking over? But you forget, you have to always be persistent. So every, every level you get, you celebrate. And then you think about how you're going to improve to the next way. Because it's kind of like with Apple, right? They just released their new iPhone 12. They probably celebrated with their sales and everything. But probably that Monday after they released it, they're like, okay, how can we make the 12 better into the 13? That's kind of the mindset that you have to keep having. And then last question, what are two or three personal or professional takeaways for listeners? I think it's just being persistent and having that desire. Your mindset is the other one. And... It's great to have a morning routine, even though I know it's very hard for students or young professionals to wake up earlier than they're already waking up. So for me, my son always wakes up at 6 or 6.30, no matter what time he goes to sleep. So I have either until he takes a nap, which is in the afternoon, or I have in the morning. So what I started doing is waking up around 4.30, 4.15. I'll do Bundagi for a little bit. And then I'll do these exercises to kind of get my mindset right. And even though it might only be an hour before he wakes up, I feel like you get so much done in that hour just because a lot of people aren't awake. And then the rest of the day, I could spend time with my son or my wife when she comes home instead of working while everyone's home. For me, a morning routine really worked. And so if you could even wake up maybe like 20 minutes or 15 minutes earlier and just try to maybe read for two minutes and then maybe visualize for five minutes or something. And what you can do is people that have trouble waking up and say, like, I'm not a morning person. And I was never a morning person. But once I started realizing how much I could get done, I became a morning person. And then you wake up at 7, then wake up at 6.55. And before you get out of bed, just kind of set your intention for the day. That's really helpful advice. I will definitely be using this. <laughs> this conversation has changed my perspective on life and how I see it. So it's been really great conversation. Oh, of course. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Smiley Connection. Remember, if you have a question for Sean, email us and we'll get him to give you a personalized answer on the show. Don't forget to subscribe, rate the show, and leave a review. We also want to hear what's on your mind. Email us questions and feedback at ipnpodcast at ipnonline.net. This episode was written by me and edited by Cassie Lee. Our cover art is designed by Nadia Khan and Shaquille Mullet. Marketing for the Smiley Connection is carried out by the extremely hardworking Shaquille, Amber Verani, and their team. Also, many thanks to Zoha Momin, our Jane of All Trades project manager, and Farhan Manjiani for all his feedback and charm in securing speakers. Our intro music is the funky podcast intro by Robert Reed. Other music included in this episode are Over the Water Humans Gather by Dr. Turtle, Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, Spray Painted Gold by Little Glass Men, Lying Your Helpless by Daniel Birch, Golden, Simplify, and Open Door, all by Little Glass Men. And finally, Warmer by Andy G. Cohen. The podcast is a culmination of almost two years worth of work, and it would not have been possible without support from those who believed in it. And for that, we're grateful. 